Hi, I'm Mara Webster with In Creative Company, and today we're talking about the wonderful documentary Fire of Love with director and co-writer Sarah Dosa, editor and co-writer Erin Casper, and editor and co-writer Jocelyn Chapu. And I wanted to start by asking you all a little bit about the, the way in which the, the voice and the tone, which is so beautiful for this film, really came together, because um, I heard the, the the initial concept. There was a there was kind of like a demo that you all started editing and putting together, and and that it sounds like that was a really big part of the journey of starting to find the voice and the tonality of this film. Um, and so I was just interested in what that initial foundational starting point was, and how you started to see some of the footage that you were editing together collectively, even just as a demo, really started to form the foundation of what we've ended up seeing in the final feature version. Um, yeah, that, that's a great question. It's it's such a dynamic process that it, it's there's so many different moments along the way that have been transformative. And the demo was absolutely one of them, as was this edit retreat where all of us were together in one person. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's hard to really talk about where, where to begin. Um, uh, and I'm starting off, you know, but Aaron and Jocelyn, please, please chime in. Um, I think from the very, very beginning, we knew that this would be an unconventional story. We wanted it to feel like a nature film and also at once a French New Wave film. And uh, since the, the crafts were very much influenced by the French New Wave themselves, um, we knew that there is extraordinary visual materials to work with and at once gaps in the, in the archive, things that, that had been lost to time, things that had never been recorded. And so we knew that we would need to have a creative way of, of telling the story that felt true to them and their playful and existentially philosophical uh, and scientific uh, way in this world. Um, that could also draw on kind of uh, the cinema that, that they loved themselves. And um, yeah, so um, I, I think that working on the demo was something that provided a first real kind of moment of testing out some of these ideas, um, working with the, I believe at that time it was the first kind of 20 to 30 hours that we we're able to access. Um, and we started kind of with this treatment and this concept uh, and then kind of really put it to, to the paper. And I'm going to stop talking and I'd love for, for you all to, to jump in. Um, just to even take that a little bit further, uh, Sarah pointed to the gaps in, in the archive and in the story. And I would say that that was one of the sort of organ first organizing principles uh, that we started really talking around um, when we first got together for our edit retreat. And um, I would say, you know, we really thought about like, well, you know, what style of, of voice does the narrator have or not have, or what does the narrator say or even not say? And um, it just didn't seem right to have a narrator that would have this sort of voice of God or be too certain um, when the crafts themselves uh, didn't necessarily didn't at all lead with any kind of certainty in their lives or or in how they um, communicated about science and about their work and, um, you know, their science of observation, you know, in the world. It's just, it didn't make sense and it felt incongruent to have those two voices. And so that was one sort of like stepping stone. And it it was fun because it allowed us to really embrace these gaps or even the limitations in the material and sort of lay our cards out on the table. And I think when you do that, it's an invitation to the audience to say like, we don't know, but we're going to find out. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I would just add that, I mean, Sarah did so much research before we started editing or before we we started collaborating and discussing our role. Um, she really came to us with a world <laughs> of, of like terrific ideas, very specific uh, and broad and, and philosophical and all like it was so much to work with. And at the same time, she also gave us so much space to experiment and propose new ideas. And um, I think that was also a big um, part of arriving at The Voice is, is just those initial few weeks and months of, of total experimentation, um, trying different narrative devices, um, you know, tr trying, having the narrator say things that now in hindsight is definitely not our narrator's voice, but um, sometimes you just have to try things out. And um, yeah, the, Sarah really set the tone as far as, as letting us do that. I love that. And kind of off the back of, of what you're all talking about in terms of allowing for those spaces of the unknown, what's so beautiful about it is that the work that Katia and Maurice were, do were doing throughout their lives, there were so many unknown elements and they were so aware of that. And so it feels like a natural aspect, but you know, documentary a lot of the time is is seeking to give audiences very finite and very concrete details and answers. Um, and I was interested, Sarah, in how you approach telling a film where you really allowed for the space of the unknown, but in a way where it never feels unfulfilling for the audience because you're still giving us so much information. We're still learning so much geologically from the work that they've been doing. And so we come out educated and informed, but allowing for those natural spaces of unknown entities at the same time. That's a great question and something we as a team discussed constantly. Um, we wanted Katya and Maurice to be our North Star, uh, guiding us through the film um, on every level. Uh, however, that was quite challenging because they passed away you know, 32 years ago. And so there was kind of an unrequited search to our own process because we would you know, learn many, many, many things about the crafts and then realize there's so many things we could never know. And as Aaron and Jocelyn are both saying, um, that was really important to be upfront about. We didn't want to paper over those questions and rather center the questioning, um, partly because that's at the heart of scientific inquiry. Um, and it was very much true to, to the craft's own uh, life's work. You know, they were guided into the unknown, um, driven by mystery. And rather than attempt to kind of master nature or try to conquer it, uh, which is the dominant kind of narrative about nature, which is going to send me on a whole different tangent, which I'll spare you for now, but rather they, they centered the idea of the unknown. And one could also say that, you know, love is one of the greatest unknowns, kind of the mysteries of, of the human heart. And then telling a story about love and volcanoes, the unknown and that quest for understanding amid the unknown was all the more important to us. Um, so we wanted to find ways to bring that into the process of the edit, as well as the writing process of, of the narration. And uh, one example that I, th I think might be an easy one to kind of point to is the story of how Katya and Maurice first met. Um, in our research, we found three different ways that they could have potentially met. And rather than choose the one that we thought was uh, the most effective one for the story we wanted to tell, we, we wanted to instead point out these the discrepancies. Um, that felt the most true, as well as uh, it seemed to speak to kind of this process of myth-making, so to speak. It's like Katya and Maurice were so large. There were such, uh, you know, in these incredible larger-than-life characters that people were telling different stories about them. And, um, and that kind of space of that unknown or, or those different stories we thought was more interesting than, than choosing the one. Um, 
And so um, I'll just say, uh, yeah, that seemed to kind of like set the language for the film um, of wonderment, uh, of uh, questioning, of, of um, seeing kind of awe. Um, and hopefully it could also set that kind of unrequited desire uh, in the audience to, to yearn for a knowing that they could never quite access, um, but a, in a way that felt most true to the crafts. And getting to work on this with Aaron and Jocelyn to, to develop the, the kind of layers of this, um, it was an, an amazing process because it's all very complicated stuff to lay out when you have these different kind of themes. And so having such brilliant editors with such clear eyes um, towards the material, um, yeah, it's just a, an amazing collaborative experience. Yeah. I really love that. And and Erin and Jocelyn, for the two of you as well, <laughs> I was interested in the, the trajectory of going through all this archival material, but side by side going through in-depth research for both of you as well to really understand the footage that you were looking at, because there's so many different snippets of things. And if you look at a snapshot of them kicking a rock, that could seem like one thing. But then when you realize, oh, OK, it's because like there's gases trapped inside of that because of a volcanic reaction. Um, how did you approach going through all of the footage archivally and starting to edit together rough cuts, but also kind of in tangent with that, making sure that you also always like researching and really understanding the context of the archival footage beyond just the visual aspects of it? We thought of Katya and Maurice the way they thought of volcanoes. Um, so that, that's in a nutshell how we, how, what our process looks like. We were really, really curious about them and by extension volcanology. Um, taking our cues from them allowed us to put our amateur volcanologist hats and try to understand what they were learning um, through their books and, and through um, our own research tangents. It also gave us license to embrace a sense of humor because we, we saw that in them. Um, and, uh, and, and the more we learned, the more we developed our understanding of them and of, of for as, as you pointed out, of what they were trying to show us, which at first glance is one thing and then upon further research and investigation turns out to be something completely different. So we were always open to, um, discovering more about them, even within the same frame. I love that. Um, I think that because we didn't have the privilege of knowing Maurice and Katia in person, um, walking through this process together really was a process that we did in tandem. You know, it was like, normally, you know, a director has a, an experience outside of the frame that as an editor, I we rely on, you know, and and so whenever we have questions. Um, and in this case, that it was very different because, you know, we we didn't have that experience. Although I will say Sarah does a lot of research and a lot of writing at the beginning of the process. She takes the time to look through all of the footage and um, write you know, outlines and scenes and does so much legwork by the time and on any film. Um, by the time um, we arrive and she brings her collaborators in really early to have early conversations, which is really special. Um, and that sort of starts, um, you know, priming uh, us for, you know, and thinking about the film and we're part of the evolution. So that's all really incredibly special. Um, but then in this case too, you know, we all just kind of arrived <laughs> without, you know, to, to our own um, sense of unknowing. And when you look at the, the recent Katia's footage, um, 
you know, the first thing you think is just, it's just stunning, you know, but then it makes you want to know more. And throughout the process, we were thinking, you know, maybe that that's in parallel with what Marisa Katia must have felt like, you know, just that, you know, it's one thing to arrive at a place, but then, you know, they were people who like always went toward and, you know, and in a way it was a really special parallel with them. That's amazing. And I also wanted to ask all three of you about the journey in creating the sound design, because it's really remarkable when you step back and you realize that none of the footage that Maurice and Katia were filming has any sound attached to it. And so every single sound that we hear throughout the entire film has been created by your entire team. And so even when we're watching footage of an explosion and there's that sound, that sound was crafted in line with the way that you were viewing the footage. But I also love that with, with what you were all talking about, the playfulness and the freedom, that there's elements of that in the sound design sprinkled in as well. Sarah, I've heard you talk about some of the Indonesian footage where the sound design team put really quiet and kind of like imperceptible sounds of dinosaurs that adds to some of the texture and the layering. And so how did you all want to find certain aspects that were very specific of what would the sound of the car that they're driving sound like? And then how you also wanted to bring that playfulness and that that real sense of freedom and levity of their personalities into something like the sound design as well as you were all building this from the ground up. Um, yeah, I, I can start off, but just I, I want to just celebrate the extraordinary amount of work that Aaron and Jocelyn did in crafting the the, the sound as they were going through the edit. Uh, we worked with an amazing post-production sound team too, um, but Aaron and Jocelyn really did such heavy lifting um, that far exceeds the scope of what many people would think of uh, in terms of a kind of conventional documentary editing. Um, it was really important for us to situate Fire of Love as a love triangle story, you know, between these two humans and the elemental force that are volcanoes. And in order to do that, volcanoes need to have um, quite a, a fleshed out, developed uh, character of their own. Um, the character needs to be um, myriad, though, uh, not singular. You know, Katyn Reese said that volcanoes defy classification. And so bringing in kind of the, the um, different shades and dimensions um, to the volcano characters was essential, um, especially kind of in conjuring like an almost uh, magically real sentience to the volcanoes. And that's where sound, you know, is not just so important in terms of establishing kind of the realistic facts of what a place sounds like, but also the perception that Katya and Maurice experienced with, with volcanoes. And Aaron and Jocelyn did that so, so beautifully um, as they went about the edit. So I want to pass it over to them to talk more specifically about kind of implementing that, that framework. That is so beautifully said. And the only thing that I would add to that is that felt important. There were many things that felt important, but chief among them was a sense of being there and not just, you know, a sense of, you know, realism as as uh, Sarah says, but also just feeling like you're in that world that you're that you are sort of it's so viscous, you know, like there's so much gurgling and warbling and it's and it's like, how can you how can you not want to just sort of be in that place? Um, you know, um, there's an aliveness to it. And um, that was that was really important for us as well. Yeah. And Actually, a funny, fun fact is that in the first few minutes of starting the edit, we thought we would just edit visually. Um, Aaron and I had a quick <laughs> chat about it and we thought, oh yeah, no problem. We can just edit the images and then we'll layer in the sound after picture lock. <laughs> but um, it's, I laughed so much thinking about that because immediately um, 
within five seconds of, of starting the edit, we immediately wanted to hear it as well. There's just no, there's no film without the sound and there's no um, exploration of the narrative possibilities without just trying it and hearing it. So um, yeah, sound was integral from day one. That's great. And and Sarah, you also conducted a number of interviews with people that had known Maurice and, and known Katya, even including Maurice's brother. And you spent like a whole day with them. Um, but it sounds like you had a sense very early on that the intent with those interviews was more of a research tool than to ever film them and have talking heads within the film. And I was interested if you knew right from the offset that you wanted to conduct that layer of research, but not bring it into the film, because, you know, it's it's always so wonderfully centered into the fact that you're really using Maurice's and Katia's own words throughout the film as an expression of who they were. Um, that, that's a great question. And, and yes, very, very early on, we knew that we wanted these interviews to filter into the narration and to kind of nuance the materials that had been left behind by them uh, to really try to create the most accurate and true portrait of the crafts. Um, however, we did not want any talking head interviews in, in the film. Um, Aaron talked about like that idea of like being there and really wanting to like kind of seduce the audience into you know, being lock and step with Katya and Maurice. And that was essential to the world building of Fire of Love, as well as like when telling a story that's kind of about like living on that edge between life and death and, and as well as like the unpredictability that is kind of being situated in these natural forces, especially volcanoes, um, having a sense of presence was of the utmost importance. And so if we had these talking head interviews uh, that were reflecting kind of from the future, you know, upon the past, it would have broken that sense of temporality of being there kind of lock and step with Kashi and Maurice. Um, we also wanted uh, to create a feeling of intimacy around, you know, these three characters, you know, being Katia, Maurice and, and Volpinos, and not to ignore these other voices by any means, but to find a, a different way to bring them in. And, and narration was one of those ways. Um, there were incredible interviews, though, done um, in documentaries made about the crafts that were also archival elements. For example, there's this great film made in 1995 called The Rhythm of the Earth, and uh, Marise Baronzat, the, the director, um, she did a great job of interviewing the family members, friends, other volcanologists that they collaborated with, and we did attempt, we tried working with those. For example, um, Jürgen Kienle, uh, um, uh, a uh, volcanologist who was with them um, in Alaska, there's a great interview with him talking about how, you know, uh, he basically pulled them away at, at the very last moment, saving their lives in, in 1986 at Mount Augustine when they first recorded a pyroclastic surge. Um, and <laughs> we experimented with like putting his on-camera interview in this like television set so it could feel like it was like part of the language we were developing of like TVs throughout the film. And thus we were acknowledging kind of the archival nature of it, but it just didn't quite work. It still felt like a layer external to the crafts, even though we were trying to incorporate it with the kind of archival sediments, so to speak. Um, so uh, there's a, a number of reasons, but th those are kind of the main ones. I mean, with, with everything that the, the three of you are all talking about, there's so many wonderful aspects in terms of building what is a very specific and very unique language throughout the way that you've told this story. Um, and it feels like you really kind of created your own sense of what that voice was going to be and what the certain constraints and, and rules were going to be within your own world of storytelling and documentary filmmaking. And I was interested for the three of you in what you kind of eventually found as the, the touch points of, you know, this is how we, we're going to tell the story 
story, these are the important aspects of, of how we want to constrain ourselves within our own rule book. Um, and then like where some of the spaces were where you felt like even within your own construct that you could still color outside of the lines a little bit and how you all found that. That's a great question. Yeah, sorry, go for it. Oh, okay. I'm, do you want to go? first one, I, I'm just going to name one and then I hope Aaron and, and Sarah can continue. But um, one, one big aha or, or rule that we arrived at um, was that the narrator would never sort of speak in the first person um, and sort of acknowledge her uh, like embodied presence or uh, call attention to her identity in that sense. So that was that was important uh, and very helpful to just um, land that as the rule. Um, I'll, I'll pass it off. There's so many, but that's the first one I can think of. Um, one one sort of uh, stylistic thing that we tried and that we thought we would do a lot more of was associative editing. Um, we sort of started out when we started the edit. We started talking about the the film the idea of the film as a collage, you know, and that sort of provided an interesting framework and to sort of um, give ourselves permission to just do anything and, and have fun. Um, and so within that, uh, we talked a lot about associative editing, which is that, you know, it was a way to sort of like go on these little tangents and pr pull in other, um, you know, scientific stories about, or uh, stories about, um, from other, about other volcanologists or about other um, eruptions. And we had a lot more of that. And eventually we pulled away because as the film became more and more focused around Marie Katia, I will say that we have some of them still, still in the film. Um, one of them being the um, eruption of Krakatau in 1883, I hope I still remember that, <laughs> um, where, with uh, Lucy Munger's wonderful animation with it. But um, that was kind of something that we that we tried, and and um, you know, eventually, like it it takes other forms, you know. But um, sometimes we would, you know, sort of like let the camera pan away, and we would talk about um, uh, all of Tanya's kercher and like you know, his theory about um, the wind at the center of the earth that blew through all the vents, you know, that are volcanoes. Anyway, I could go on and on, but um, those were just sort of like some fun early, like early, some early language that we had that um, sort of, and it eventually morphed into the same idea, but just different. I'll just add, I mean, first, it's so fun remembering all of this. Uh, I, I feel like um, for Fire of Love, there were so many challenges in the materials. Um, we were so in awe of uh, the footage, the writings, everything that the crafts left behind, but there were so many challenges and how they were going to come together. And it was truly those challenges that inspired kind of new creative opportunities and led to the specific languages that we developed um, one I, I like to also call out is, um, is like the pausing on the footage. That was something that just going back to this, the, the original demo that you talked about when we were first making that, uh, the, there's only really one interview where Katya and Maurice are on camera together talking. And that interview is great because they get at some really fun, playful things, but it, it was uh, made in 1985. And there was these, what feel to us now as like these, 
very interesting editorial choices where the editor of that would smash cut to these like really intense like synthy montages like in the middle of their conversation and um and to, in order uh to like not use that but to be able to like hold on certain shots longer for example there's this one moment where katya's like facial expression is like incredible and communicates so much but it goes by in an instant and so like jocelyn experimented with pausing on that shot and then having the narrator come in and, and speak over it. And that was, um, did a lot of work all at once and created very much kind of this tool of, of having the narrator kind of be actively interpreting the images for the audience and um, allowed for us to kind of play into that uh, throughout the film. So I, I, I feel like the narration overall is another example of like limitations, creating a new opportunity. Um, same thing with the animation. There's certain coverage that we needed despite acknowledging the gaps um, and animation really came in to, to fulfill that, that role. Um, but I think overall, it's like one of those great lessons of like every challenge really is an opportunity for new creativity. If you can lean in and, and listen to your guiding um, principles. And, and for us, I think kind of, always at the heart of things really were Katya and Maurice. So um, looking to what they might do, um, trying to conjure their playful spirit uh, every step of the way. Absolutely. And, and, and lastly, because you've all been touching upon, upon so many different aspects of the narration. And, you know, one of the things that I was really drawn to in watching the film is the fact that it allows itself that space of asking questions that you as an audience member are starting to think of as you're watching this footage and interpreting it as well. Um, and so there's this real connectivity that you've created in, in the language that you found and even what you were saying, Jocelyn, about, you know, never having the narration be first person. Um, and so I wanted to ask a little bit about the journey of, of script writing for the narration specifically, um, you know, because I think Jocelyn, you were the one to record the temp track before Miranda July even came in and, and recorded all of that. Um, and so maybe kind of coming to you first and just like how even just recording that temp track with, with the narration also really helped in the writing process for all of you in, in finding what you wanted that to sound like. Oh, yeah. Um, where to start with the narration? It was it was super collaborative. I mean, we were all we were all writing together, pitching each other lines, and um, we had all these channels with with a different different lines that we were constantly editing and having these uh, eureka moments of arriving at the right word. And um, as far as the the tonality of the narration, um, it wasn't planned that I would be the temp narrator. Um, it, when we started editing, um, it was a real mishmash of our three voices. <laughs> and then also at times, I think Aaron, you, you gravitated more to just like putting some text on screen for the like placeholder subtitles for the narrator um, to be determined. <laughs> so um, after a few edits like that, it was becoming distracting to have all these different voices. Um, and um, I was volunteered as, as, the, as, the, as the narrator. And at first, of course, it's, there's the spook factor, at least for me, of hearing yourself recorded. Um, and it just over time, and maybe it's thanks to the isolation of the pandemic um, that I, I, I just became more comfortable with myself in general than, than before. So. Um, uh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm really all over the place right now. Um, but yeah, over time, I just became, I've, I'm not an actor whatsoever, and I have no vocal training. So the voice that was 
uh, in the narration is what you, like the voice I recorded is what you hear right now. Um, but um, uh, over time, um, I, I don't know, it just sort of became this um, like secondary persona. Um, and we would, con like um, Aaron and Sarah, they would send me their lines and that they wanted in the edits they were working on. And then I would record my own lines for the edits I was working on. And I love that process of recording a line for Aaron. And then it became another way to collaborate because I would add some commentary <laughs> at the beginning or end. And um, so as far as tone for the narration and, and sort of starting that first draft with my own voice, um, we, we, we watched a lot of French New Wave films. That was um, one of our references because that was the um, period of cinema that the crafts uh, came of age in. Um, and you could see the reference of the French, or you can see the influence of the French New Wave in their um, sensibilities and their cinematography. Um, so that we watched a lot of those films and we found, um, we were really drawn to the narration in a lot of those films. Um, I think for Sarah, it was Truffaut. I was drawn to the Godard narrators, <laughs> Aaron, I think Barda, I don't know, or all, all over the board. But um, I, um, for me, for my own voice, I. I remember watching a Godal film, um, Masculine Femina, and that one seemed like a tone that I could, um, it just suited me. <laughs> it was, it was um, more, it, it just sounded like someone chain smoking and um, with a smoky voice. And um, so I just embraced that tone and, and ran with it. And um, that's, I think that's that's in a nutshell or, or in a very big nutshell um all I have to say about the temp narration but I was I was overjoyed when Miranda said she would come on board as our official narrator and I'd finally um get to stop hearing my voice yeah and Erin how about for you with the writing process oh you know we have this hand motion that we have since the beginning it kind of it's like this, it's like a piano tuning kind of, you know, you calibrate one thing, you know, here, and then you find, so maybe this is um, one of our probably hundreds of Google Docs that we use to write long, long paper cuts of long scenes. Um, and then, and then, so there was that. And then, then there was, there were, there's the archive of images, um, recent Katya's 19 books that they wrote that we read together. Um, you know, the interviews that Sarah conducted. And, you know, so you sort of go over here and you find one thing and it inspires you to write one thing and then you go to their images and then you discover something about why Maurice and Katia were pointing their camera at that specific thing and what it is meant to convey scientifically and why they wanted to capture that. And then that makes you want to incorporate it, you know, you know, back into the writing. And so it's just mm -hmm. <laughs> round and round um things so, so when I think of the process of writing I, I think about um just the continual continual calibration that happened and it was almost like this relay race between all of us you know whether it was in person or over slack you know um somebody would come across something somewhere else and like you know bring it to someone else and then eventually we'd all find our way into Sarah's kitchen and uh, find ourselves, you know, commuting over a bowl of chips and salsa, <laughs> and you know, like continuing to dig in, um, um, you know, even just down to the word. Um, 
And I think finding that and unearthing that uh, the tone and the style together is one of the most creatively rewarding experiences I've ever had with um, with these two. So, yeah, and 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 everyone on the team really. But um, yeah, it was a really special process. And was that the same for you, Sarah? Oh, absolutely. It was extremely challenging, but getting to dig into this challenge with Aaron and Jocelyn and um, one of our producers, Shane Boris, who's also a writer of the film. Um, yeah, getting to put our heads together and, and figure out this puzzle uh, was, was deeply rewarding. I feel like I learned so much through it. Um, one of the things, too, that, that we learned was um, I feel it can be kind of... Uh, crystallized in, in a quote that I, I feel, I think many filmmakers call upon, but I, I really know through Brisson, which is the idea of like what you give to the ear, you take from the eye or vice versa, what you give to the eye, you take from the ear. And so really trying to be economical about our writing. So the words didn't crowd the visuals because the visuals are just so spectacular. And we wanted that to, to really, um, have spaciousness, you know, to, to carry the emotions uh, of the film. And so we were really trying to be as, as sparse as possible, but still kind of um, relay the necessary context here or there, put attention where it needed to be, or to ask the questions that we thought could prompt the right kind of uh, provocation in, in the mind of the audiences. Um, and getting to explore those things with Aaron and, and Jocelyn and, and Shane and, and our, our wider team, of course, who we were sharing cuts with, um, you know, our other producer, Ina Fitchman, our executive producers at Sandbox Films, Greg Boosted and Jessica Harrop. And uh, it was really, um, yeah, uh, quite a, it was a process of discovery and in a film that's ultimately about kind of the unknown and discovery and the quest for love and understanding. Um, yeah, I feel like there, there's in a very small way kind of a, a resonance there for us. I love, I love hearing all of these details because it is such a beautifully crafted film and you've, you've all done such an incredible job on the way that you've told this story. So thank you so much for sharing all of this and, and taking the time today. Thank you so much. It's so fun to, to be in conversation with you all. <laughs> Thank you, Mara. Thank you.